You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Campus Beat here at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario on Queen's University campus. I have the great pleasure to welcome Dr. Heather Stewart, Professor of Public Health Sciences and the inaugural Bell Mental Health and Anti-Stigma Research Chair in studio with me today. Welcome, Dr. Stewart. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, We're really excited to have you here. There's a lot of great things coming up, particularly with the Bell Let's Talk campaign and this wonderful Let's Talk Mental Health dialogue event happening on Queen's campus uh, on the 22nd. We're looking forward to that. Wonderful. Before we get into these discussions, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Um, maybe your teaching and certainly your areas of research expertise on mental health and anti-stigma? Sure. Um, So my background is first in sociology as a sociologist, secondly as an epidemiologist, and I've always been interested in mental health-related research. One of the biggest stumbling blocks we have in the field is stigma. And so in my mind, if we're going to make any progress doing anything, we have to think of ways to reduce the stigma associated with mental illnesses. So that's been the focus of my attention for the last 15 plus years. All right. And tell us what has inspired your interests in uh, mental health issues, researching them and teaching them. Well, um, my mother worked in an old-fashioned mental hospital, and I grew up on the grounds of the hospital. And I also worked in almost every department in the hospital as a kid when I was growing up, going through high school, going through university. I was part of the community of patients. It was like a a little neighborhood, and um, we would do things together. I, I never really thought of them as being patients in the way that most people would. And when I got to high school, I started to realize that people thought of these folks quite differently than I did, and quite punitively. And and things would be said to me like, I'd be afraid to go there. I wouldn't work there for anything. I, I cross the street when I come to the hospital. Mm. And so I, I recognize that here are people that are totally misunderstood for the most part and marginalized and really do need somebody to start advocating on their behalf mm-hmm. and help them advocate for their, their, their own behalf as well. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the goals behind your teaching and research. Um, so my research is um, basically bookended by two things. One is I want to be able to understand how people who have mental illnesses experience stigma. It's not something that we used to talk about much. And so when you go to a policymaker and you say, we need to have money or this is a problem, their question is, how big of a problem is it? Where is it? Who's affected? And we didn't have that information. So trying to figure out how to give voice to Mm -hmm. the problem through the eyes of people who have it is, is one thing. Getting a problem scoped out is not enough of a solution. You have to then tell a policymaker, here's the problem, here's how big it is, and now here's what we can do about it. So the second prong is really looking at interventions that we can bring forward and demonstrate that they work. So here's the problem, here's the solution. Now there's really no reason why you shouldn't be thinking about this and funding it and pushing it forward. 
Okay. Now we're hearing uh, more and more these days uh, about stigma and certainly anti-stigma. Um, can we flesh out the the types of stigma that exist or um, maybe how we can recognize what stigma is? Um, for example, in everyday social re- interactions or um, right here in higher education um, or even in the workplace? Sure. It's uh, multifaceted and this is one of the reasons it's so complicated but there are different levels of stigma. One is structural stigma. So that is the accumulated practices and policies of organizations. So for example, if we have policies that make it difficult for people with mental illnesses to access resources that they need or get care, there's not enough funding for services, that's a structural piece. Okay. There's public stigma, and that's how individual people think about those who have a mental illness. And we learn that from the television, from our families, from school. As we're growing up, we're socialized about how to think about mental illness and how to think about people with a mental illness. And that can translate into discriminatory behavior. Mm -hmm. So, for example, someone might think uh, misguidedly that someone with a mental illness isn't a competent worker, so they wouldn't hire them or promote them. Understood. So that that can play out in a workplace. It can also play out in a university setting when it comes to hiring people, hiring research assistants, uh, promoting them through, you know, professors through the ranks. Mm -hmm. And then the third type of stigma that I think is probably the worst kind in my mind is insidious, insidious, is um, self-stigma. And that's the way people who have a mental illness think about themselves. They internalize the stereotypes, the negative public reactions. They've grown up in the same culture, so they know how people think about them now. And in order to avoid being stigmatized, uh, which is, you know, makes a lot of sense, they might withdraw socially, they might not try to get a job, they might not try to have friends, they might not have a romantic relationship because they're afraid that once anyone finds out they have an illness, they're going to be marginalized, they're going to be devalued. And so to try to avoid all of that, they withdraw. Mm -hmm. And so all of these different pieces kind of interact with each other and make cogs in a wheel. When we think about anti-stigma interventions, we have to think about things that will attack stigma at all those different levels. How can people practice anti-stigma? Um, You know, it's funny because the problem is so huge. We tend to think that it's insurmountable. There's nothing that an individual person can do. But it's amazing when you talk to folks who have mental illnesses and ask them what sticks out in their mind, oftentimes they'll say a very small act of kindness was the thing that really struck them and stood out for them and helped them turn around. Mm So I think um, we have five things on the Bell Let's Talk website, things that people can do, simple things, everyday things. One example is making sure that we use language that's not disrespectful. Right. And, you know, thinking about the words we use. When we say we're having a crazy day, what if, you know, what are the people around us feeling when we say those words when we when we say I'm feeling OCD today and trivializing mm-hmm. trivializing diagnoses in that way indeed recognize that those around you a family member or them may have that problem and they're going to feel quite trivialized so thinking about the words we use thinking about 
how we can educate ourselves. How, how do we know more about mental illnesses and what people are going through and how we can help, how to be kind. And uh, supportive. And supportive. Um, when someone comes back to work, say, glad to have you back. Let's go for coffee and catch up, as opposed to, you know, staying away from them, marginalizing them and feeling awkward. Mm-hmm. Um in talking about it, that's the whole essence of the Bell Let's Talk campaign is to take mental illness out of the taboo and out of the shadows. And if we can put it on the kitchen table and talk about it, we can educate ourselves, we can become more aware, we can start to think about how we can do things differently. And we can check each other's behavior. Indeed. Now tell us a little bit more about this uh, Let's Talk mental health dialogue event that's happening here at Queen's University in Mitchell Hall on January 22nd. Who's speaking and on what issues? Well, we're really excited about this. As part of the Bell Chair, once a year, I would do a public lecture and we did it in different cities. That was the first five years of the chair. We're into our second five years now and we're thinking we'd like to do something a little bit differently. We're, we're focusing a lot of energy on post-secondary institutions in Canada, at Bell, I mean, just right across the board. Universities are interested, colleges are interested. We've just, as a university, signed the Okanagan Charter, which is a document that helps us build healthy cultures. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to hear from students. Um, it's, it's, it's good enough for us to sit back and, and worry about these things, but really we have to give the voice to the people who are in the situation. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, uh, dialogue is going to be a panel of students, four students, three or four, depending on who can arrive, mm-hmm. um, and students <clears throat> in the audience. And the point is that each panelist will make a point in a very short period of time, a couple of minutes, and then it's open mic. And we are going to hear from the students uh, what what their concerns are, what their issues, what their solutions are, what they'd like to see happen. It, it's going to be free-flowing, so we're not quite sure mm-hmm. where the conversation will go. But I think that the, having the conversation is important, first. And, and secondly, being able to see things through the lens of a student in a very competitive university is mm-hmm. going to be important for us going forward. And if it works well here, which I'm, I'm sure it will, because our students are very engaged in mental health issues, what we th- could then do is help other post-secondary institutions do the same kind of thing. So we can kind of have our own little toolkit. Here's how we did it. Here's what, what we think you might want to do. And, and here's how it went. And here, here are some of the things that you'll get out of this if you do it. Mm-hmm. So it fits very much in with national efforts around um, helping post-secondary institutions become healthier places for students. Wonderful. Now, um, tell us how this dialogue uh, is fits into or is related to uh, the Bell Let's Talk campaign overall, which I understand launches on January 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Bell has always been very interested in students, and they have now in the hundreds of campuses that make a concerted effort to do Bell Let's Talk Day activities. So they send out swag and toques, and they have this great network of campuses now. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they are one of the uh, key funders for the development of a national standard for psychological wellness in post-secondary institutions. Mm-hmm. Our Royal Bank and the Rossi family are the other two funders. And so right now, the Mental Health Commission of Canada is spearheading this with the Uh, the Canadian Standards Association. And out of this process will come a set of guidelines or standards that 
post-secondary institutions can use mm-hmm. to help promote student wellness. So we're going to hear from these students for the first time what they think might help. And so we're going to be putting this in the context of the national standard, and hopefully we'll get enough great information from them that we can feed this back into the standards committee and the commission and, and help inform their work. That's a huge initiative. Yeah. And uh, what, what a great way for students to get involved. Yeah. Now, um, what, so can you tell us a little bit more about the Bell Let's Talk campaign overall? What is it? I've, I've seen it in social media at least last year, maybe the year before. I can't, yeah. I can't remember how far back it goes, but it's been around for a bit. But yeah. tell us more. It's an attempt to raise awareness, mm-hmm. um, to change behaviors, and it's done in a very clever way, in my opinion, because most campaigns try to increase people's knowledge. So they'll give them nuggets of knowledge, and mm-hmm. they'll think that they've done a great job if somebody can parrot back that piece of information to them. This is different because what you have to do is you have to do something. You have to send a message to somebody, retweet or tweet a, a message on the Bell Network. Everybody who does that, certain number of cents, I think it's five cents, I can't, don't quote me, but we could check it on the website, but five, five cents or so goes to a special fund to promote mental health-related activities in the community. Mm-hmm. On top of a baseline amount of money that they have already committed, they get this extra money each year. And it, it it's in the neighborhood of six million dollars, seven million dollars. This is the first corporate initiative of its size that has ever supported mental health in such an overt way. Mm -hmm. So the commercials are there on television, you'll see them, uh, to try to model great behavior in some cases, to help people recognize that people with mental illnesses are people with mental illnesses. Anybody around them could have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And then it's you know, to generate momentum for the day when we can actually start the dialogue and have people talking on the Bell Network to each other and mm-hmm. sending messages. All right. And now can you tell us a little bit more, perhaps, about the uh, collaborative work you are engaged in with the Bell Campaign, given that you're the Bell Mental Health and Anti-Stigma <laughs> Research Chair? How does uh, it all work? It, well, you know, they have their own creative teams, mm-hmm. and they come up with their own ideas and their messaging and their commercials. And then they say, okay, you take a look at this. And uh, among other people, I'm one of several people that does this, but you take a look at it from a stigma lens and tell us if you see anything that might be offensive, that might have missed the mark. And so usually I get a, a sneak peek at the the rough outs for the commercials or whatever. And um, and we, we sometimes spitball ideas as well. well. Where should we go next year? What kind of things should we do? We had celebrities for a while and we don't, you know, should we go to members of the general public now? Is that a good thing to do? And mm-hmm. what's your idea on that? So I, I get to have input into that. But I think more importantly is during the year I get to work with members of the Bell Let's Talk team on initiatives like the Standard, mm-hmm. like a classroom initiatives. They've developed classroom modules for high school students uh, so that teachers could present material to them in class. Mm-hmm. What we found was the teachers were uncomfortable, some of them didn't feel confident. So we went back and we got a collaborative group together to develop some resources for teachers. We've 
our team usually does the evaluation piece. So we're the research uh, side of things. So someone will develop something, they'll implement it, and we'll figure out a way to find out if it's working the way we think it's working or if it's missing the mark. Mm -hmm. And once we do that, then we can say to them, we're comfortable with this the way it is that you could roll it out nationally and not do any harm to people because oftentimes programs have unanticipated side effects. Mm -hmm. So we know there are, are none. This is going to work the way you think it's going to work and it, it's going to make a difference. I can see that you're very passionate and really <laughs> excited uh, about the projects that you are working on. It, I guess it's hard to identify because yeah. there seems to, uh, so much, but what, what do you love most about it? I think what's great about my approach to research is the fact that I can't do it by myself which is unlike the stereotype researcher who sits in their office with their data and collects their data and does the reports. I don't have any data. I don't have any reports to make unless I have partners in the community. Indeed. So I have lots of partners, and it's been very fruitful to work with companies like Bell, right now working with IBM, we've worked with Morneau Chappelle, big companies, but also little companies, uh, little, uh, you know, advocacy efforts, charitable organizations. I, I work with church groups who want to do something within their church. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever, you know, I'm asked to do, I try to think of a way to make it happen. So I, I love those partnerships. I'm working, of course, with the Mental Health Commission. We've done a lot of work there. Um, and as I say, it's, it gets you out of your office. It, it gives you this network of people who are like-minded, who are wanting to do the same things. But none of us can do it by ourselves. We have to work as a group to make it happen. All right. Now, uh, what kinds of advice might you have for uh, students, staff, and faculty, and members of the Queen's community and the greater Kingston community uh, regarding mental health and anti-stigma? Well, I think it's important for people to recognize, first of all, that it's one of the most significant problems that people with mental illnesses have to face in their day-to-day -day lives. So they'll tell me that it's harder to deal with the stigma associated with the illness than the illness itself. Mm -hmm. The stigma is more long-lasting and more debilitating. So it's one thing to figure out how to manage your symptoms, but it's quite another thing to figure out how to have a productive and happy life where you're not being devalued by those around you and you're not marginalized. Mm -hmm. So I guess the first thing would be to recognize how important it is to hit this head on and try to address it. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't minimize it. Recognize that this is a very significant problem for people and their families as well. Mm -hmm. Families can be stigmatized. They lose friends. They lose their support networks. They're trying to manage a family member with a significant illness, and they need support as well. And so if their friends are afraid to be around or, or don't come by anymore, it hurts the family. It hurts the person. So recognizing the kind of effects that stigma can have and the importance of providing support. And then I think the second thing is back to what we were talking about earlier earlier is many times that support can be done in a very simple way. Mm -hmm. We don't have to completely revolutionize Hollywood, for example, <laughs> to make better movies. We can do things at home. We can learn to recognize when somebody is experiencing distress. Mm -hmm. We can know how to open a conversation. We can learn how to do that. There's all kinds of stuff on the web to help us. We can become comfortable with those conversations. Okay. Faculty, students, research assistants, TAs, all of us can do that. And then we can 
know what we should do. Um, we can guide people, you know, and, and help them understand that if they're significantly ill, these things don't go away on their own. They, they're going to need some help and to help support them through that process. Wonderful. Thank you for that advice. Now, uh, getting back to the uh, Let's Talk Mental Health Dialogue, uh, how can people uh, find more information and attend that particular event? Well, the event is on the 22nd uh, in Mitchell Hall at Mm -hmm. 1130. And we want to hear students. We want to hear the voices of undergraduate students, graduates, postgraduate fellows, anybody who has ideas or opinions about what we could be doing at Queen's and elsewhere on on issues of mental health and and stigma reduction. And so, you know, whoever wants to come, I'd be happy if there was standing room only in that room. I'm hoping that's what will happen. There will be some refreshments, but mostly it will be a time for us to, in the administration and the faculty, to listen and to have the students take the floor. Wonderful. And now with the overall Bell Let's Talk campaign, uh, are there ways for people to get involved in that as well? And uh, why should they? Well, one way of getting involved, first of all, is going to the Bell Let's Talk site and finding out more about it if you don't already know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, getting involved by sending messages, emails, tweets, whatever, because you're raising money for an important cause. Not only are you helping you know, create an awareness, not only in Canada, but it's quite international at this point as well. It's millions of tweets go out each year. You're helping to raise awareness, but you're also helping to raise money. And that money comes back to our communities, the the local communities in various different ways in programming, in research. My chair is funded, of course, by Bell. Um, It's it's just a a win-win situation for everybody. All right. Now, do you have any further comments on uh, mental health issues or or anti-stigma that you'd like to share with the audience before we uh, sign off for the day? No, just um, I think if anybody's listening and they're feeling that they're distressed, um, to recognize they're not alone and to take the initiative to contact their local doctor, their family services, whatever their local resources are to try to find out what those are and to recognize that there is help out there waiting for them and that they should take the initiative to get it. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that advice, too. So thank you very much, Dr. Heather Stewart, Professor of Public Health Sciences and the inaugural Bell Mental Health and Anti-Stigma Research Chair. It was a real pleasure having you in the studio with us today. Thank you. Pleasure's mine.